Amen. 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 With the horns now. Amen. With the rhythm now. Amen. And uh, I would say if there's one thing that's true of us, I'm not like a cultural critic or really smart on these things, but it seems pretty obvious that culturally we are a very fearful people. That we are people that are marked by fear. Um, you know, uh, today there's a lot of people probably buying that those staples of a natural disaster, milk, <laughs> eggs, and bread. Yeah. The, the building blocks of natural disaster French toast and, um, that we all have. And fear drives French toast component sales. We, we understand this. Um, we're actually so fearful. And, and that's good. That, I mean, you know, when you're like, I might be without power, you should go get food and gas and all that stuff. But, um, you know, my parents are like always like, you need to have gas in your car when the revolution comes. Uh, you need to be able to get off the mountain. And I'm like, I'm not, I'm not coming to your house when the revolution comes. Uh, and, uh, but we take for granted, even our economic indicators... Uh, if you think about how we do economics, they're based in fear. So, like, someone gets on TV and they say such and such thing, and the Dow drops, you know, such and such, so many points because we're afraid. People with money are afraid that something's going to happen, happen to it. Even it's socially too. Like, um, it's like everyone in your friend group is dating. Like, you're like, wait a second. Last semester, no one in my friend group was dating, and now everybody's got a boo thing on the side, and uh, and I don't. And so what I have to do now is I have to find somebody, even if it's the wrong somebody, and be with them. Or everyone is going to fall conference. But now you're like, no one's going to fall conference. So going to um, we, we are a fearful people. And in this passage tonight, Jesus is talking to some very afraid people. And that's what I just want to look at together tonight. Um, does having a relationship with Jesus have anything to do with our fears, uh, our deep fears? So I'm going to read from Mark chapter 4. And uh, this will give our attention to it. You can listen along. You can read along. Whatever you're comfortable with. Uh, Mark writes this in his gospel. He says, On that day when evening had come, he, that's Jesus, said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. I like how it says just as he was. Like maybe like he wasn't, you know, carrying something special, you know. Um, Sorry. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke, and he rebuked the wind, and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Uh, it's God's words. I'm just going to pray and ask God's blessing on it. Uh, our Father, we thank you that um, you tell us in your word that perfect love casts out fear. And we are very fearful. 
And Lord, we're fearful of things that we ought to be fearful of, like, um, like hurricanes and flooding and winds. And Lord, we think of our uh, sisters and brothers in South Carolina, in the eastern part of North Carolina. And Lord, we lift them to you and pray for them. Lord, we particularly pray for the vulnerable, those uh, who find themselves without a home, those who find themselves without a place to go, those who uh, it's treacherous to move them because they're in a delicate state. Lord, those that are with child, those that are very young. Lord, so many that are vulnerable. And you made them all in your image, and you made us all in your image, and you care for them. So, Lord, we just pray and beg that you would protect um, human life, uh, as this as this comes, Lord, we thank you that we are in a place that's relatively shielded from that. And Lord, though we are um, in many ways safe from this particular threat here in Boone, um, Lord, we're very fearful about many things. And so, Jesus, I just ask that you would be with us now, that you'd be with your word, that you would be with our hearts, our ears, um, and that you would give us something that is greater than our fears, uh, namely that we would trust in you. And we pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. So I was reading in the New York Review of Books, as, as I do. And uh, it was actually the only time I ever read the New York Review of Books. It's not like I get the New York Review of Books. I just like this author, and her name is Marilyn Robinson, and she had an article in the New York Review of Books about fear. And uh, you know how I was saying that, that fear drives so much in our economy. Um, this isn't like a statement about guns or gun control. Just, she makes this comment. It says, gun sales stimulate gun sales. You know, people start buying guns, people start buying guns because people are afraid there's not going to be guns. Um, she says that's a splendid business model, no doubt about that. But she says this, she says, fear operates as an appetite or an addiction. You can never be safe enough. And Marilyn Robinson is talking about our culture and she's saying that we have this, um, as a people, a, a, an appetite for safety and sort of an addiction to safety or the sense that it kind of like money. Like you could never have too much money or enough money. We could never be safe enough. And as, as we go into this passage, that's, that's what the, the thought that I want to be ringing in our ears as we look at it together is this sense of you can never be safe enough. Because I think if we start to understand that, we will see ourselves in this boat with Jesus. Here's the scene. Jesus has had a long day of teaching. He takes his, his, his buddies, the disciples, out in this boat. This is basically like a wooden rowboat slash sailboat. It's not like there's an outboard motor on this thing or whatever. And they're out on a huge lake and a huge storm comes up. And if you guys remember just a few months ago um, when there was that duck boat and it, it, uh, it sank and all that, even in today's world, you know, weather can come up on a boat and it can get pretty treacherous pretty fast. And that's, that's what happened to them. Uh, there's a huge storm, there's wind, there's huge waves, the boat is filling with water, and nobody is, like, going to get out of this. That's the point. Like, no one's going to swim away. Like, everybody's legit going to die in this boat. There's no outboard motor, there's no Coast Guard to call, there's no one that's going to come in with a flashlight because electricity isn't a thing. And uh, this is it. And meanwhile, while they are basically looking at the last moments of their life, these, these men, their leader... Jesus is asleep. And I can't even like sleep in the backseat of a car. Like I can't sleep on a plane. I can't even sleep in the bed half the time. Jesus is asleep in the driving rain, which gives you a sense that how, of how tired he was. 
But they wake him up and yell to him, like, we're about to die. And, like, it's not like they said something wrong because they're, they're like, you're about to die too. Like, you might want to wake up because this is going to be it, you know. And they, they say to him, they say, don't you care that we are about to die? And Jesus wakes up. And I just imagine him kind of rubbing his eyes, you know. And, and, and he stretches, you know, and he stretches his back because he had a routine, you know, like you do when you wake up. And he, he gives the wind a stern talking to. <laughs> Which, if, if the wind doesn't respond, just sounds kind of insane, right? He gives the wind a stern, stern talking to, and he tells the waves, literally, to hush. Be quiet. And if that had stopped, there would have been just, like, waves still, and everything would have been going. But immediately, it's like, still, glass, body of water. And they're surrounded by an overwhelming calm. And if you think that you were afraid of dying in a boat, if you were with somebody in a boat and they did that, you would be real scared then. Because it's like, if that dude can do this to nature, like, what can he do to me? And actually, Mark says they were filled with a great fear. Now, I want us to stop and recognize something here. Um, If you were an eye that were on a rowboat that was about to sink in a tiny hurricane, we'd be freaking out too. We'd be screaming, we'd be fearful, we'd be losing our minds. This is like the, the, basically the first century equivalent of like, you're on a flight from Charlotte to Dulles, and you're, you get to cruising altitude, and then the nose just tips totally down, right? And the, the oxygen masks deploy, and you're just going straight down. And there's, there's just like no sense of like, this is going to be okay, right? It's just objectively, legitimately terrifying. And it's to those objectively, legitimately terrified people that Jesus turns to and he goes, why are you afraid? And it seems like a basically unfair question. Well, we're going to die. You should be afraid too. Um, And and he says, do you still have no faith? And the the word for afraid there is really more like timid or cowardly. He's like, why are you being so cowardly? Why are you so timid? And that, I, just, I read this and I go, like, that can't be right. Because the appropriate thing to say would be, um, are you okay? Is anyone hurt? Uh, does anyone need to lie down? Does anyone need to throw up? Um, can I rub anybody's shoulders? And, 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 and you know, like, everyone take a deep breath. Not, you were just so cautious back there and I just need to see more faith from you. And now Jesus is either just a really unkind and mean person, which some of us probably generally think that Jesus is an unkind and mean person. Um, And he's just like overly intense. Or he's pushing his disciples deeper into faith and showing them something um, about God. In the other passage, it's on your handout. It's, it's Luke chapter 12. And uh, Jesus says this in Luke 12. He's talking about fear. This is also seemingly overly intense. He says, I, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more they can do. But I will warn, warn you whom to fear. Fear him who after he is killed has authority to cast into hell. Let's pray, you know. Um, <laughs> He's like, don't be afraid that people are going to murder you. Be afraid that God's going to kill you and then cast you into hell. Um, Jesus is showing us something in these two passages by saying, look, it's, it's okay to be afraid. Like, fear is, is sort of natural. 
But fear on its own, without a great overarching fear, is, um, is really kind of worthless. Like, if you're in a hurricane, when I, when I was a kid, we moved from Byron, Georgia, to Pompano Beach, Florida, the week of Hurricane Andrew, which was like the Hurricane Katrina before Hurricane Katrina was in South Florida. And we lived in a trailer in Georgia. I didn't know what a hurricane was. My mom didn't know what a hurricane was for sure. My mom actually bought bags of quickcrete to put around our doors because we couldn't get sandbags. And uh, so then when we got back, all of our doors were concreted shut. Um, and uh, being, yeah. We're just, it's just country folks just trying to figure out a hurricane. And, um, and a lot of snorting going on. And, um, and being in a hurricane uh, will really reprioritize your fears, right? You're like, I was freaked out about talking to that guy, but now I'm in a hurricane. And I like legitimately have bigger problems to, to worry about. That's, that's not to... That's not to like make a funny joke about hurricanes. It's just, it's just a reality. Being in something big like that and awe-inspiring and something that you're so out of control of and something that's so much more powerful than you reorients your priorities. And what Jesus is saying is like, look, you're afraid of the wrong thing. And until you begun, begin to fear God, and by that he means have this recognition that even a hurricane is very minuscule compared to God and his power and his ability to do things. Um, Until you begin to realize that, you're going to be tossed to and fro by your fears and ruled by your fears. I want to stop and consider some of the things that make us afraid. And before each one of them, I want to remind us of Marilyn Robinson's You Can Never Be Safe Enough. Let's talk about the future, friends. And what's going to happen in that far-off land after graduation? Um, everyone's groaning, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going to go there. I just, I, I just, I just got, my, got my four-wheeler. We're going to come down your street. Okay. Um, when you consider your opportunities after college and the things that may be available for you, uh, how, much, how much is your own stability and security the thing that drives your decisions versus a sense of God calling you to something, right? In, in that situation, you can never be safe enough. The job can never be safe enough. The internship can never be safe enough. The pay scale can never be secure enough. And we chase that, and we have a sense that, God has, that God's call to love him and to love our neighbor. It's like, if I could get both, that's great. But if I got to get one, you know? <laughs> Riley's laughing. Um, <laughs> All right, other things we're afraid of. Let's just cut right to the scariest thing that there is, which is other people. Um, but tigers, yeah, yeah. I think other people are scarier than tigers, you know? I feel like I have, I feel like I have an approach to a tiger. I don't have an approach to another person. Um, most of us are terrified of other people, right? Most of us have a sense of, I could never be safe enough with other people. Um, especially when you're engaging with people that feel mysterious to you, and they're different than you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be vulnerable with y'all for a minute. And um, over the summer, uh, I, I will say this. As a 34-year-old male that lives in Boone, um, which I love Boone, but uh, really robust adult male friendships don't just, like, come along every day, okay? They have to be cultivated, and, um, <laughs> which is good. Cultivating friendships is just good stewardship. But, so I'm, uh, over the summer, I'm at my buddy's house. 
He's a Clemson football fan. I'm an Auburn football fan. We have something to talk about. And, um, and we're having a wing night, and it's going great. But if you're, if you're a guy, you probably by this point have recognized that when there's like a group of guys hanging out, things are tolerated that are said that would never be tolerated just in like a casual Tuesday at work. Okay? And it's a very pressure-packed situation. Okay? So there's this one guy there, and he's making some jokes, and I'm like, pretty uncomfortable. Um, <laughs> But he said this one thing that, like, I, 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 could, I couldn't even repeat to, like, a dear friend. And there was, like, five of us out on this porch. And everyone kind of looked at me, because I think it was because, like, you're like, oh, pastor boy. Like, he might have some. <laughs> and, um, and I kind of was like, I gave a disapproving look. But I didn't really say much more than that. And later on, I was just filled with a sense of shame of how cowardly I had been. Because something needed to be said, and I, I justified not saying anything by going, well, I don't want to ruin Tim's wing night by making it awkward. But really what I was just a coward, because I didn't want these people to reject me and to lose my friendships, because I, I couldn't be safe enough with them. I needed to be safe. Um, and I'm, you've probably been in that situation. Another thing that we're afraid of is trying, um, like actually trying to do something. You can never be safe enough with trying. Uh, do you feel free to give 100% of yourself to something? Or do you give about 75% of yourself to something so that if you fail, you can be safe in the sense that I didn't actually give everything I had to that, right? That, my friends, is called self-protecting, okay? And it's terrible. Um, I hear this group of people diminish your gifts on the daily, so like, I can't lead because X, Y, Z. Um, I couldn't like do that Bible study. I couldn't mentor this person. I couldn't take this responsibility. And it's just self-protection. It's just trying to be safe, okay? The 23rd Psalm talks about a person that is led by God who's a shepherd to them. You know, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters, all that stuff. And the psalmist says... Yeah, even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, the really scary place, I, I won't fear, like I don't have to fear, because you are with me. Th- there's this sense of, of safety is not being in a safe environment per se, but being with God in any environment is safe. And that thing that, that undercuts our fears. I, my, my wife took my daughters on a, on a haunted house ride, which I... I wasn't there, and I'm like, they're four and six. Um, and uh, she just told me afterward, when Georgia came out, she was freaking out, and she had her eyes closed. And Sarah Jane was with her, and she also had her eyes closed. <laughs> and then Bonnie came out afterward, our, our four-year-old, and she was shaking, but she had her eyes open, and she was sitting on her grandpa's lap, and he, had, he was holding her, you know? And she had this sense of, like, I can go through this thing and have my eyes open because you are with me. And that's basically, what I think, what Jesus is trying to force his disciples to, to say, this is really scary. You don't have to be cowards. Like, I'm here with you. Now, the problem here isn't being afraid. Jesus is saying it's being afraid of the wrong thing. Because in the boat facing imminent danger and a strong possibility of death, Jesus was not afraid but was asleep. But Jesus did get scared. 
Jesus, in fact, at one point was terrified uh, to his core. There, there was this night before Jesus went to the cross, and he knew that he was about to be betrayed and go to the cross. And he was in this garden, and he wanted his, his, his disciples to, to pray with him, and they kept falling asleep. And he knew that was ahead. And it scared him to the point of psychological and emotional trauma. And physical trauma. He was so scared as he prayed to God about what was about to happen that he was sweating. And he was sweating blood. That's how how terrified he was. And he was afraid, not of the person that could kill the body, but of the one who, who could destroy the body and cast the soul into hell. He was looking full in the face of hell. And that, is, of course, is what happened to Jesus at the cross. He went to the cross and went into hell for us, God's wrath. And he saw that storm coming the night before. And he was absolutely terrified, shaken to his core. And what he did was he saw that storm and he was scared and he didn't calm it. He didn't tell it to hush. He didn't tell it to calm down. But he stretched out his arms. He stretched out his back. And he went right into that storm for you and for me. And for the guys in the boat who this time were sleeping, right? Which just shows that they, they, they had no idea what he was doing for them. Um, they missed it. And, and, and we miss it. Because faith in Jesus, uh, in, in the work that Jesus did in living and dying and being raised for us, for anyone in this room, is supposed to make you courageous in the most deeply uncomfortable and scary situations. And the reason why it can make you courageous is because Jesus moved into the terror of death and hell with courage to make a way for us to go in that and be safe. And to pass through that with him. Later on in Luke 12, he says, I I tell you, you know, he says, fear the one that can cast you into hell. And then he says, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Like God cares about all the little hairs on your head. Fear not, for you have more value than many sparrows. He's saying, yeah, you should be afraid of God, but you don't have to be afraid of God. He is objectively, legitimately terrifying just on the face of it. But if he's for you, there's nothing that could possibly touch you. Uh, And if you know God by the grace and work of Jesus, if you fear him, you don't have to be so timid and cautious about your life. Um, When you're with him, you're safe. And I want to walk back through those fears real quick as we wrap up. But instead of Madeline Robinson's, uh, you can never be safe enough, I want to go with Jesus's, why are you so timid? Okay? And, 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 and I want this to be like a challenge to you. We good? Madeline Robinson? That's, uh, that's, not, that, that's Madeline Robinson. Marilyn Robinson. It actually says Madeline Robinson in my notes, though. So said the right thing. Marilyn Robinson, thank you. I want to go with Jesus' why are you so timid? The future. What waits ahead of you? Why are you so timid about the future? Um, Aren't you more precious? 
Um, are, are your fears and need for safety putting you in a place where you really feel like you are thriving as a person in God's kingdom? Set free to do that thing that God has really called you to do? Why are you so timid about the future? You know you can go, right? And you can go, and you can go do it, and you can go try, and it's okay. Like, God's more committed to your future than you are. Your best days are never behind you. The best is always to come. All right, other people. Why are you so timid with your friends? Um, Are you so worried about how your friends will perceive you that you have lowered your standards for being a good friend? Your friends need good friends. You need good friends. My pastor has been saying this a lot lately, like, Shallow friendships are just bad stewardship. It's true. You don't have to be afraid of your friends and of your safety. You don't have to be timid. Do you ever speak the truth and love to a friend? Why are you so timid with strangers, with people you don't know that make you uncomfortable, people in communities that make you uncomfortable? What justifications do you use to withhold love from them or to withhold giving them the good news of Jesus if you're a Christian? You don't have to be afraid. God's with you. He's for you. Um, What about trying? Why are you so timid to try? You know, if you fail, you're not a failure. If you're in Christ, you're you're still united to Jesus forever. And he wants you to try. Um, Your identity is not in question. And one I wanted to tack on here. Why are you so timid about just being a Christian? (laughs) Um, It's like, oh, but I have this doubt. Uh, but I have this attraction, I have this struggle, I have this thing in my past. And I just want to tell you, like, those things aren't worth keeping you from Jesus. He's the one who is the fountain of life. The one whose perfect love can set you free from all fear. And you can go to him with those things. Uh, over the summer, I spilled my guts to this, this counselor. And uh, we were having dinner together. And I didn't expect this, that this was going to happen. But like three hours later, we're having cocktails and I'm spilling my guts to this guy. And, um, and so I, I'm with my, him and my buddy and I'm like, so uh, what do you think? You know, after like three hours. And I'm sharing all like my deep fears with him. And uh, he's got a great story. I'll tell you later when it's not on a microphone. But um, and I was like, what do you think? And he goes, you know, I listened to your story. He was like, I, he was like, I just want to see more. He's like, I just don't know why, you, why you're holding, holding back. Like, I, just, I don't know you. I just want to see more. He's like, I like you. I like what you got. I need, I need to see some more. And there's a sense that if you know Jesus by faith, that was a deeply loving thing to say from basically a stranger. If you come to have an encounter with Jesus, he's going to take you to this place where you're so anxious and fearful about something. And then you will see him work this impossible solution to it. Where suddenly you're more scared of God and his power than you are of that thing that you were so afraid of. Because he can be scary unless he's for you. And he's going to turn to you and say, see, you're safe. I want to see more. Um... And I just don't know what could set us more free than a God who is for us that is that powerful to say, I want to see more from you. I love you. I like you. I like what you got. 
He trusts his work in you, and he loves you and is for you. So no matter what you're afraid of, Jesus invites you to more. Let's pray. Uh, Jesus, thank you for that good news. Thank you that you invite us to trust you in the midst of very scary things. And Lord, I'm aware that there are women and men in this room who have, have seen very scary things and continue to see them. And Lord, I just ask that you would go with them. That they would have a sense of your presence with them. And that, Lord, that you would, you would draw the best from us. Um, Lord, do that to our hearts. We pray for this weekend coming up. Uh, we're grateful for a time without class. And Lord, just pray that you would help us to consider what does it mean to be safe in Jesus when we pray in his name. Amen. Everybody say